Good Monday morning, this is Matt Hodell with the Bastards of Art Podcast, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. Anyway, I'm here with my good buddy Chris Boyle. It's me. I'm here. <laughs> it's humid. <laughs> What's St. Louis in the summertime. <laughs> you sound like you have a cold. Like you gotta I be- do have you a cold, You got a beaker yeah. voice. I do. So if I sound weird, <laughs> it isn't just because I am weird, it's because I have a sinus infection. <laughs> Did, are you, yeah. you going to be able to make it? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah? How was your week then? It was horrible. Must have been terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. I did a bunch of... Are you that guy? Like, we're both married, right? Yeah. And and, uh, what is it about dudes becoming the biggest babies when they're sick? Did your wife call you out on that, or are you pretty cool about it? No, she's been pretty supportive because, you know, I've had to work every day, mostly, through being sick, and she's like, I feel really bad. Like, you have to go to work, and you're like, you know, you don't get a break, and I was like, yeah... But I do definitely become a huge baby. Like, I expect everything else in the world to stop. All I want to do is, like, sleep Why are you going to the water. store? Who's going to get my water for me? No. Where's the remote control Speak at? Speak for yourself on that one. <laughs> oh, I'm a big baby. I just want to go to I sleep. I know I'm a big baby. I think there's probably a ratio to, like, how tall you are to the bigger the baby you become. Okay, yeah. I, I think so. I'm a fairly big baby. Well, you're, you're tall. slightly taller than yeah. me. So. Yeah. I think we're That'd the same. True. I think we, we might have the same amount of babiness. Sickly, Maybe. sickly different. baby, and so not the same baby, different, <laughs> same baby, but different baby. I, I hate being sick. I had that. I Whatever too. you got, I had it like a month ago. I, I went to the Smoky Mountains, came home, laid out for a week. Yeah, I, I can't remember if I. I think I struggled through. I didn't. I don't think I missed any work, but I felt like it, man. Yeah, I haven't missed any work. I've made it. It's like worked out where my bad days have been my days off, but it's not the most fun, you know. Oh, it's miserable. Yeah. I just, Allergies, it's a thing this year, apparently, in St. Louis. Yeah, so first they, everyone I with, talked they to. screwed up the they screwed up the flu shot. Okay. So everyone who got the the vaccine did Didn't not work. get a vaccine that worked. Oh, cool. And I never get those because the one time I got a flu shot, I got the flu. I wasn't into it, so I just... Yeah, well, my wife's a nurse, so we're required by, yeah. by house law to get a flu shot. Yeah. But yeah, it didn't work this hey, year. Hey, if mama's so. not happy, nobody's yeah. happy. I don't think I've been... Yeah, this has been an off year. You know, when I smoked, I used to get real sick. Yeah. I felt like I used to smoke and I never got sick. Really? Yeah. That's probably just me Fluke. saying that. Yeah. You're probably just full of shit. Selective, <laughs> selective memory, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. All right, so we are into our third podcast together. Mm-hmm. And Big the, three. Yeah, the first two we talked about... Um, if you haven't listened to them yet, the first one we talked about um, imitation and that learning process and that learning process being a little bit more social where you kind of people problem solve for you, kind of figure out how they did something and then you applied that and you tried to see what their intent was. The second form of learning we said was innovation and that's when inventiveness becomes, um, well, social learning became futile and so you had to add your personal touch. And you had to kind of think outside the box a little bit. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just, yeah, I was agreeing with you. Oh, my bad. Uh, And then last podcast we thought, and we we discussed this off off air, I guess you could say. We talked about inventiveness was the next logical step. But I think we both came to the same conclusion that that might not be the next step. It might be a part of innovation is maybe inventing something but like and we kind of just were talking about that inventing something doesn't necessarily make it good or make it marketable or make it worthwhile it just make means you made something so in some ways 
anybody can invent something, but it might be a little more challenging to be innovative, to maybe feel the pulse of what's going on and find something to satiate that versus just say no. Because innovation is based on a classic way of learning, whatever whatever craft, whatever whatever it is you do, whether it's yeah. throwing clay or tattooing or music or whatever. There's there's people that came before you and they took a lot of the a lot of the thinking out of out of stuff. Um, thinking out of stuff. They they, they problem yeah. solved for us. So sure. we basically we could stand on the shoulders of giants, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you had to take that and go, okay, how does this apply to me? What is my life experience? Yeah. And that's when we got innovative. But like if we I was just sitting here thinking like someone could show up tomorrow and put, you know, take take a take a sandblaster and start blasting something with a sandblaster and it looked like a big pile of shit, but because they <laughs> used a sandblaster and they're so inventive with it. It's really special. But it's not anything. Yeah. It's not it doesn't mean it it doesn't make it just because you're so yeah. dang original doesn't make it yeah. good. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's good. And I think that's like when I was thinking this week about invention. Invention I would almost there's not really a very great definition for invention floating around that I saw. Everything said it's the process of inventing something, of creating something. Uh, mine so, said the one I found was to think originally. Yeah, or think creatively. I saw that one floating around there. But to me, uh, for lack of a better way to break it down, maybe we would say invention is something just completely new. And innovation is something that has to function inside the constraints of a medium that already exists or a context that already exists. Yeah, successfully. Successfully, yeah. It has to flourish within a context where invention it could you know innovate an invention can be innovative but it doesn't it is not necessarily innovative just because it exists right i think i Maybe follow you pretty there's a whole, there. lot, whole lot of i words philosophy <laughs> what how do we say that word Podcast. yeah like what would like i'm trying to think of like like i know people that they just go out of their way to be different yeah without any construct at all like yeah. you're like what what did you do this for and they, they they almost can't back up it's almost as like two ends of the spectrum you know yeah. we we had talked about there was something called mimicking yeah which is not um imitating mimicking is 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 following in someone else's footsteps without understanding the intent of their yeah. problem solving it's referencing it's taking yeah you're you you want the same glory that they got Basically, they did something cool. You don't want to bother learning why they did it the way they did it. So you just mimic it. You just rip. You, you just rip them yeah. off. Well, I think the other end of it is is you're basically quote unquote inventing a style of art or a way of playing music, yeah. and you're so off the spectrum the other way that it it doesn't it just just doesn't hold any hold any water. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it looks like shit. Sounds like shit. Must be shit. Yeah, and I, I guess you could like I, I can hear right now somebody in a tie dye shirt talking about art for art's sake, huh. but I don't necessarily like I don't necessarily you know I don't buy that you know I don't buy yeah. that like it, it just by just by like you know throwing cat poop against the wall and smearing it you know with a broom I don't I don't right. think that means it's you invented cat poop painting. You know, right. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah, but what makes something good? You know, that's the real question. I was like, what makes something good? So, what? Why do we need to invent something new if we need to invent something new? Or why do we need 
innovation to allow us to expand upon something that's already working. So do, is it because there's a problem with what's happening? Well, what, what, what does make something good? I mean, let's 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 define good. The good is something that that let's just say let's just say some an audience other than your mother likes it. You know sure. what I mean? Let's say let's yeah. say there's a bigger audience, and as a collective, they've decided like, man, that that invokes an idea or that invokes a feeling. I would say that yeah. would might be the first step to saying something's yeah. good. I mean, I think that would maybe be a first step. Another step after that would be. You know, for our purposes, at least saying, I mean, I'm not trying to say what's something, is it good or not, is very subjective. Sure. But for our purposes, maybe we'd say, is it sellable? So monetizing, you know, and I think, I, I mean, I would love to sit here and do a podcast all about how we finger pain and we and we and we just do pretty little trees and and there's there's a whole group of people that 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 have a Bob Ross affinity you know and they 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 have a therapeutic version of art but let's just get real we have families you yeah. know we have bills and we love art but we also have to monetize so i think for the like you're right for the purpose of of what we're t- discussing uh, in in this podcast is yeah you kind of do have to ask is it good i mean let's take and let's remove art for a minute all right you want to be subjective is food food just because it's edible just because i can eat it and not get sick does that mean it's good you know no it doesn't mean that you know if you make a cheeseburger and then add a banana and then add a hot pepper and then add some cat food it's all edible right but it doesn't make it good i mean you're not going to sell a- i mean i think it kind of depends on how hungry you are you know not to be the devil's advocate <laughs> but you know is is food good if it's in short supply then the cat food might look good yeah, like if there's the nothing problem. else to eat art is not in short exactly. supply exactly and i think that's like what i'm kind of saying is that like art is a luxury item you know and our particular form of art that we do mostly tattooing that's a heavily luxury item it's not i mean but really any kind of fine art i would say is a luxury item it's never been something that like when the world is ending we're not going to take the paintings with us, you know, like when we're, well, I mean, mo- well, most movies actually do have that little chamber where they take a, I know the worst, idiots. the worst painting ever. Yeah. 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 Meanwhile, there's like 20 little sick kids trying to get onto the spaceship to leave earth. They're like, yeah. no, no, no. We have Monet on here. Yeah. Leave us no alone room for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think we're on a roll here and we're kind of onto something, you know, um, like I said, I use the analogy of like, of the food because that's monetizable monetizable you can yeah, sell I think it. it's right yeah. monetizable what the fuck is the word i'm looking for here i don't know uh monetizable monetizable. i think that sounds right to me okay sellable sellable yeah that sounds a little yeah. better than and so if we're trying to come up with like like uh uh an idea of doing art for art's sake and the whole point is that is something good we're saying can you sell it? I think it's fine, you know, to, to do art for art's sake. It's just not fine to do that and expect to get paid for it. Right. And sometimes, like, we, we touched on this, I feel like, before in our talks. It's like, in our maybe our first podcast that we did together, that sometimes it just works. You know what I mean? Somebody, like, throws something up there and people are like, yeah, there's this visceral reaction to it. And that's great. But the expectation that that should be the way it is, I think, is the problem. And I mean, that we get, you know, not to get too far off topic here, but that tangents me to something um, like this, the, the blog movement, right? 
like I don't know, I'm kind of a little bit out of the loop, I guess, but a few years ago, it seemed like everybody was starting a blog, and then these younger kids were like, oh, I should start a blog and get paid for it, you know? Like, I mean, I'm. what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a blogger. I want people to, like, you know, read my random musings and thoughts and then pay for me to live in a nice apartment in the Upper East Side in New York City. Like, it should be, that's normal, right? And it's like, well, is it? No, I don't think it is, you know? Like... But there definitely have been cases where that has happened. Yeah, you know? those are those are far and few in between. Right. I think so, we both agree. I think it's fine to do art for art's sake. I don't think it's fine to expect to make a living doing that. Right. At least for what we're talking about here. Like that would be uh, the constraints of what we're saying. Like when we're saying, oh, in order to be good, you have to make money at it. Well, I don't know. But if you if your goal is to make a living doing art, we can. I think we can agree that. You have to be able to make money in order it has to make to a be living. good. Yeah, and it has to be. That is a qualifier for good. Yeah, and I think I think you know one of the weirdest things about like so don't. Like, what's that? No, I'm just saying right now we don't want any emails, hate mail <laughs> saying, oh, you guys hate art. You don't even like art. You you guys say that art for art's sake is terrible. You guys are full of shit. Well, just I save think, them. You know. I think uh, you know when you remove like when we get into. Um, art shows and when, when you remove the idea of a panel art show mm-hmm. where you actually like submit your work and there's a panel that's like got a criterion that they're looking at and you either are in or you're out that's definitely not art for art's sake yeah. where a lot of our lowbrow stuff that we do I mean it's a it's an art show it's usually at a bar yeah <laughs> and anyone who can like paint some turd can put it on the wall sure and uh, but doesn't, it. it doesn't yeah it doesn't mean that yours is gonna sell at the end of the night you know sure um and so, so let me ask you this. Let's say we have this art show, right? And let's say it's not a panel art show. It's just at the bar. It's, this, these, are, these are maybe not so cultured um, prospective buyers. They're people who are just like me and you, you know, uh, working class Joes. And they see this art on the wall. They might flock to the more kitsch type things. But the ones that are going to be in demand, I think, are going to be a little more innovative. You know, when I think of innovative, um, when I go to artists, I, I made like a little list here. I think of if you if you want to look this up, look up Virgil Finlay, F I N L A Y. He was an illustrator. He like started like after the Great Depression. There was no money in it for him because all the money was gone in in illustration after um, the Great Depression. They just weren't getting paid anymore. But he still did it, so that makes it I guess that much cooler that he was he like produced like two thousand six hundred masterpieces so to speak you know and each one took forever um but he i think he he was so innovative his 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 illustrations were all like brush or ink ink and paper really is what they were um and they were like like to this day there you stare at them and you don't even know where to start to decipher them like how would you even mimic it much less imitate it you know Uh, i think something like even just reproduce it would be difficult yeah he he was innovative. I think of um, Frank Frazetta, who everyone knows who he is. I mean, he just passed away like last year or something yeah, like that. Yeah, pretty recently. I'm and sure. he has a he took classic oil painting and did fantasy art. And I I don't know. Like I was just telling Chris, I don't I don't know if he was like the first oil painter to do fantasy art, but he was the first one that just was spoke to so many people. It was innovative because it crossed 
bridges and barriers and it let common people like he, yeah. he got stuff published in the back of comic books you know what I mean right, so here right. are these awesome oil paintings that took hours and hours and hours and then they were approachable I guess is the yeah. is a word that you could say well there was something desirable about them something that took you to a different place something when you looked at it you didn't understand it but you wanted to look at it some more and try to figure it out or yeah very suggestive landscaping yeah. and like what planet would this be on it just it it ask more questions than it answered when you look at Frank Frazetta's work. Yeah. Um, and then I was talking about Guy Atchison with his tattooing. Like, Absolutely. He took the foundation of tattooing. Um, he uh, got an apprenticeship underneath a guy named Bob Oslin up in Chicago. So Bob Oslin was old school acetate stencil guy. He knew how to tattoo. He taught Guy Atchison how to tattoo. So Guy knew how to do a solid traditional tattooing. And he went and did some weird ass biomechanical fractal yeah oddball stuff and that was super innovative you know um so and i think the examples i'm given they're not people who invented like uh, like he didn't invent like i'm gonna start tattooing with you know fucking shotguns or or whatever you know but he he took what was there and yeah and and made it i don't know it was just awesome you know it's it's like you see tattoos you see you see fantasy art but these guys the way they did it it was just like there's, you can almost see that they, they, they're, they're in there somehow. Like, does that make sense? Like, it's not fake. It's not phony. Like, you can almost see the person yeah. in the art. They're not taking know? something like they didn't create a new medium. They just found a way to bend the medium that they were working in that they already respected and enjoyed, and were fulfilled by maybe in some way, or maybe they weren't fulfilled by what the medium was offering them. So they pushed it. They kind of like. Well, they definitely pushed it. Yeah, I mean, they, when they and they. But then they broke that medium open into something that was a little more for other people. And other people started seeing that and saying, I mean, I think that's the kind of cool part about this now thinking about it is that, you know, Guy Atchison starts doing stuff like that. You know, if we were to say Guy was the first person to do that, maybe he wasn't. He might say if he was sitting here, actually, well, I saw this guy and this guy and this guy, you know, it's like the people that he was seeing or the artists that he was looking at. But he might have looked at all those people, but he's the first person that's Put it together right. like the way he did. And and then what's interesting is like seeing other people then look at that and like start to do similar things or take what he was doing and expand upon it in a different way or experiment with it. He became an influence for a whole nother group of people. Yeah. And they could try another direction. And he remains to be an oh, influence yeah. to people. And he still is, you know, pushing his own limits. It so is like. it safe to say, I think at this point, it's way fucking easier to be inventive? Yeah. Well, it's safe. I don't know if it's easier, but I think it's it is safer because if you can say I invented something, then you are no longer subject to the criticisms that exist inside a medium. You aren't responsible for anything that is supposed to be a part of that, and I think that's what makes it safer. You can kind of stand off in your own little safe, secure room and say, "Well, it doesn't matter if." I don't have black outlines on my tattoo because it's mine and that's what I do and I'm over here. And you can't apply your traditional rules to what I do because I invented this way and it's my way. So Or like I do everything with razor blades. So you can't even – how can you even apply? Yeah, it's you not know, the same thing. It's not the same. Yeah, it's like you know, if an invention is like staking a claim to something wholly new, it gives it a little bit of safety you know, sure. to, to be – not subject to criticism is really the best way. And that's what, you know, 
happens when it doesn't work out when it does work out everybody's like oh my gosh how did you do that it's amazing. i totally concur with that yeah. yeah but it doesn't again it doesn't make it necessarily right off the top good no you know well i think i think the difference is when you're being creative you get unexpected results and i think someone who's who's trying hard knows when something works and when something doesn't work that usually there might be a feeling or you might actually apply uh you know the rules of design to it and realize it just doesn't work but i think sometimes when you're being inventive it just feels forced it sure. feels like you're just you're trying too hard you know what i mean yeah you're it's like I, 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 think, I can think of like that like those like that, that there's a there's this kid i have in my head from high school they just tried way too hard to be punk rock like yeah. it wasn't natural it didn't look natural on him like dude just yeah. stop you know yeah i think it, yeah there's a there's a certain sometimes if you have to invent something to be relevant then you're probably just not relevant you know like mm. i don't know what is relevant that's been that's uh, that, that word keeps coming up over yeah. and over and over i mean again. i think relevant is kind of the same thing like to me I, I guess that's situational, but like in our situations, like being relevant is can we get paid to do this? Is it monetizable or whatever we say? To me, being relevant is like, does anyone even know my name? Yeah. <laughs> like at one point in time, I felt like I was in demand, and then other points in time in my life, I'm like, I don't know. That that's my definition of relevant. It's like, yeah. Like, am I am I at the point in my career that I'm playing the casinos? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, in tattooing, I don't know that I have that same perspective. I started tattooing a little bit later in life. I say that, and some people are probably going like, whatever. So I started learning how to tattoo when I was 28. I didn't start tattooing really full-time until I was 30. So, but as we've talked about in some of our other podcasts, in case you haven't listened, like I used to play music for a living, so I was involved in artistic or a creative field. And I definitely, even through my journey in music... I went, I had times of saying, Hey, am I relevant anymore? I'm like, and that happened all the time. You know, there was like a younger, cooler, you know, cheaper guy to play the gig. And I think in tattooing or in whatever other field, it could be that same way too. There's a younger, cooler guy who is more better looking. He's better looking and he'll, <laughs> maybe he'll do it for a little bit less because he loves the art so much. But in reality, he probably just has a lot less responsibilities. What are those things called it? I heard this phrase a couple years ago, passion pieces. Oh, yeah. What the hell is that? I, that's something I can't connect with. I yeah. mean, might, that might be a tangent, but I like mean, passion yeah. piece. I don't know what passion pieces are. I, you know, in the real world, we really all need to make money, and we should all know that. That's just like why I tip my waiters and waitresses well, because I understand that in my job, my tips impact you know, my bottom line and my income. And if I want somebody to come work on my house that I need to pay them money so that they can live in their house in order to work on mine. You know, passion pieces. I, I mean, you know, spoiler alert in tattooing. It, it's really like if you get a cool tattoo. So what does that mean? I don't know. If you get a tattoo that your artist really wants to do, that they're really involved in and excited about, you're probably going to get a better price. It's the same thing in any craft. It's the same thing in any situation if you let somebody express themselves through something that they're doing creatively they're going to tend to cut you breaks where they can simple as that yeah that's a passion piece to me yeah because i mean 
You know, I've had so many people. You, oh, do you do you do free tattoos? Well, no, I don't because I tattoo for a living. I could probably give you like one word every ten minutes, and you could <laughs> fill another ten minutes. I know. I love it. When you say love, do you mean hate about me? <laughs> no, I, I dig it. Okay. Well, I at least think I, I dig it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Some I love it. Hate I, that I think. About me. I think I. Do it. I think I think it takes it takes someone to to be observant and have high energy to to be you know to, to you yeah. know that idea that ambition feels fuels ambition yeah you know I think yeah. that that energy without that energy level I think you just sit around and do nothing yeah so here's a question I mean I think we've given I don't think that there's like a like here's how to be innovative I don't think there's a here's how to be I think it's more like look man. When you're when you've done your homework, when you've uh, imitated the masters, figured out how they did it through their problem solving, and then you start to add, uh, I think the the key word is personal experience. Mm-hmm. When you start not only taking what they've done, and you add your personal experience with life as you see it, then that's like from the heart, and you'll you'll that's when you really start becoming innovative. I don't think you have to, you know, necessarily get a pen and a piece of paper or an ink brush or whatever and sit down and be like, oh my God, I got to be so, I got to be so different. Sure. You don't have to be so different. You, you, by, by nature, you're already different. Um, I'm talking about this a lot, you know, no one event can be viewed the same from two vantage points where you're one of those vantage points and only you can see the world the way you see it. And so, you know, if you're, I think that, I think if anything, out of these last three podcasts, I think people just need to relax a little bit. Yeah, you know, I agree and, with that. And I think there's no way... I don't really think there's a way to become... I don't know anyone... Like this list. Virgil Finlay, Guy Atchison, Frank Frazetta. I don't think any of those guys were lazy. No. I think they all worked really hard to figure out who came before them. And then just one day they like... Like, you know what, man? Can I do this? And they were... They used... Again, the idea of being creative. It had some unexpected results. And some of them opened up some more doors and they started pursuing that, you know? Yeah. And I think when you, you know, you said something problem solving and I think that's really maybe what we could suggest people focus on is like when you look at your process, when you look at your interaction with clients, things like that, like what do you need to do to problem solve your situation? So what is working for you? What is not working for you? What do you see that you need to grow in and then try to solve that problem? You know, I think that's a great way to start being if we were to say, hey, how can you be innovative in a, in a personal way? You know, that, I think that's the way you have to do it. Like we've talked a little bit about that, you know, kind of off air about um, even with me, I tend to get angry or you, you, you call me passionate. It's a very nice way of saying it. <laughs> but I get upset about things or like what something that I might think, oh, it's like an injustice or this or that. But in reality... Maybe what is a better way is to step back instead of getting angry saying, hey, how can I solve this problem? Like if I'm frustrated with the kind of clients that I attract, then how do I problem solve that? Does getting angry about it and being like, oh, well, it's just like I'm tired of people that want me to do realistic black and gray, even though I don't do realistic black and gray. It's like, well, no, like instead of getting mad about it, like. I need to like take a step back and say, well, what am I doing that's like making people feel like I'm the guy for that? Am I putting work out there that is, you know, suggesting that I'd be interested or highly How, capable? Did you of market doing that? yourself wrong? Right. Or have you not marketed yourself at all? Right. Or am I maybe just like 
maybe it's something that you're doing right, but just being taken the wrong way. Like, you know, I really kind of try to pride myself on being nice to people as a tattooer because it makes up a lot for how much I'm not good at doing tattoos. So, you know, (laughs) but like really it's, you know, it's an undervalued tool a lot of times just being like human towards someone because a lot of times people are intimidated, especially in a tattoo shop or in that situation. Um, And I think that's the same thing for other artists, you know, and, you know, my wife was a graphic designer. So I think the same time, like a lot of like, you know, uh, an IT company, though they may be creative in some ways, like when they sit down to like with somebody who want they want to develop their brand with and wants to help them with their advertising platform, they may be somewhat intimidated by photo shoots and print design and logos and these things that they are not interested in, but they know they need. So sometimes I think it can be that you're doing, maybe I'm doing a really good job at being nice to people and just having a nice conversation when I'm working with people. And I'm, I need to like, still be nice to people, but also maybe like drop hints to the kind of work that I desire to take on and the things that I don't. So it's also how you sell it to the person. You could sure. There's also ways. Yeah. You're there. I think, I think what we're talking about really is don't be so damn happy with everything you've had success with. Yeah. And really concentrate on your problem areas. Like what is the weakest part of your game? Yeah. You know, I mean, I already know I can do a traditional tattoo. I already know I can do you know, ink painting or, or ink and brush or what, or whatever. Um, but like washing, like wash, wash, brush, sure. wash, you know, ink, ink, wash, like fast, uh, uh, landscape studies. That was a big part of last year. You know, like how yeah. I, I suck at this. It's intimidating to me. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go out and I'm just going to force myself to do it. Um, black and gray, in, sure. you know, tattooing, that's something I suck at, you know, so I definitely want to, you know, that's a weak part of my game, you know, um, <clears throat> I think you. I think the you know we're at, the question was asked was how do you become innovative? I think first you need to be well rounded. You need to yeah. be well versed in your craft. You know, start there, and then then you have a, a better picture of some possibilities yeah. or some some maybe predictable outcomes. You were talking though. Uh, you went off talking about yourself being a nice guy, um, and I think that's a whole other uh, idea too. Is like when we're talking about monetization. Um, a lot of times, like, you buy a car from right. from a salesman, and you don't even know what the car does for, like, the next three weeks. But you get yeah. more and more excited about the car after you bought it. Sure. Well, why did you buy it in the first place? I mean, we have the internet. Well, you could have done all that research ahead of time. Yeah. We bought the salesman. The salesman sure. was, like, super approachable, super cool guy, whatever. Yeah, you like, kind of wanted the car good. in the first place anyways. You kind of knew what you were getting in for. But they sealed the deal, you know. They they filled in enough of the gaps to make you go for it. So that's another part, and I think this is a good a good bridger now is like sometimes you can be the best artist in the world, and no one no one really wants yeah. to do business with you. How do you market yourself? How do you become sellable? How do you become a person? Yeah. Because here's the other, here's the other thing too is a sales a good salesman can read you. You can come on the lot. Right, and here you are, you're you're pushing 40, you got a little extra money in your pocket than, than when you were 20, and you've decided you want a two-door sports car. Meanwhile, you show up with two kids and a wife and a dog, and he's like, no, that's not what this guy wants. He's going to get sick of this, and he's going to get mad at me for selling him a two-door sports car, but 
I'm going to find the happy middle. I'm going to get him something dope that still can punch down the interstate, right. but his dog can fit in the back. Totally. I think that's also a good part of like, you know, when people want to commission work from us, we've got to be able to hear what they're not saying, you yeah. know? And I think that's, that's probably, you gotta that, that to probably your, deserves some attention. Yeah. You got to play to your audience, you know? And I think that that does deserve some attention is kind of like, how do you tell what somebody really wants, you know? And that's pretty presumptive, but it's important in art and design to like try to explore what is it that your client is actually saying to you? What do they really want versus what they maybe are even saying to you or what they're showing you and trying to walk that line effectively? So I think we both know that commission artist guy who every time someone comes in, they're like, are you sure you don't want a landscape painting? Yeah. It's like that's all they know how to do. Right. So that's all they push. I think going back and saying in order, number one, you have to be well-rounded. It's only after you're well-rounded that you're able to take someone's idea and be like, you know what? I, I think I know. I think I know what you're going for. You sure. know. Um, but I think being a one-trick pony or being inventive and and having someone come commission your work and be like. And you're like, do you want it done with a shotgun? Like, no, no, I want it done with a brush. What are you talking about? I think you should be well-rounded. I think that, you know, in my opinion, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be well-rounded, but I do think there is a certain uh, amount of just confidence you should bring in to uh, just directing people towards the kind of art that you want to create. Because otherwise, um, I've definitely seen it where people are so well-rounded that they don't have an identity, right? They can kind of do everything. Well, I think what you're talking about is being a jack-of-all-trades. Yeah. You're good at everything but master of nothing. Is that what well, you're talking that's about? that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I could be talking about that. It's like sometimes I, I think when you're a master of everything, it's still difficult to be satisfied, though, because, you know, I work with a guy who I really think he's kind of a master of everything. He's doing fine. He's great. But like he doesn't always get to do, he doesn't get to push his art as forward as he really probably even could with his clientele and things like that because he doesn't direct them in that way, you know, because he's so good that he can kind of do anything that anybody wants. He can, he can mimic, imitate, duplicate, do something totally different. Like he just, he lacks no foundation he just lacks maybe sometimes pushing for what he wants, you know, and what he can do. Mm-hmm. Like he may be about how he could really like put some more behind what the person wants. And I think that's like something that like bridging the gap, all that's to say it is okay to put a little bit of push behind what you're interested in, because I think you're going to deliver a better product to your customer. And and if you're interested in it, you're also on that innovative path. Yeah, and I do it all the time. Like I had a guy the other day who came to me wanting some hyper realistic black and gray again. I know I've been saying that over and over. And I, this is a guy that just wandered into the shop one day. I tattooed him. I've done one tattoo on did him. Did he even want a tattoo? Yeah, he did. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he did. But I, you know, he had a lot of questions. He was kind of like somebody that maybe typically would not have been, you know, it would have been annoying to talk to him. I did one tattoo on it. It was a simple, like, print design style tattoo. Like, I didn't have to draw anything. It was a logo, basically. I did a nice, clean, solid tattoo on him. Well, he came back to me because he had a good experience. His tattoo looks nice. And he wants to think, well, I don't do that. So, my options are, one, you know, first of all, 
I just told them, hey, I don't do that kind of stuff, but this guy does. And I think that if you want to get this piece, this would be a really good guy to do it. I do more things like this and give him the option then of what he wants to do. If he really wants to work with me, then maybe his ideas of what he wants to get are going to change. And I'm okay with that. I'm not going to push him in that direction because it needs to be his decision. But if he really wants to get a hyper-realistic black and gray piece, I'd much rather refer him to someone who's going to do a good job of that. And he's going to come back to me for something else that's suited to me later. And I'm okay with that, you know, because I'm not trying to push myself to do this hyper-realistic black and gray piece and then not do a great job on it. And then I have an upset client. I'm bummed out. I go, oh man, I hate everything. My life is horrible. I should quit tattooing. It's just like, it's not constructive. If you, if you were, if you were doing hyper-realistic black and gray, then that would be who you were. But that's just not who you are. But I do still push myself, like you were saying, like saying like, oh, be more well-rounded. It's like, I will intentionally take on more manageable pieces and styles that I'm less comfortable with in order if I think that I like if it's like just uncomfortable for me I'll say yes to it if I think it's unattainable I'll say no that's good and I think that that is a way that I can push my boundaries and my well-roundedness but I still think what I guess what I'm getting at long-windedly is like I think it's okay to know your strengths and capitalize on them it's just not okay to make excuses because you are strong in one area and weak in another. That makes sense. I don't know. I feel felt like important to say that. No, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. So I think that's uh, as as we develop this this new section of the of the podcast, um, and these are all starting to link together. Um, I think the next topic is definitely going to be uh, the person behind the art, sure. and and how you know how you relate to the client that's asking for a commissioned piece. Yep. You know, that sounds good to me. So, uh, this has been another episode of the Bastards of Art podcast. Do you know? Do you know how to do the tagline? I yet? don't know yet. You know how to, <laughs> where can they find I'm us not at, Chris? For this, <laughs> they can find us at uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, FM Player, eh, somewhere else, and of course our webpage, uh, www.bastardsart.com. Um, I have a webpage, www.matthodeltattoo.com. You got one yet? No. You got your MySpace? He has I don't a, do he's MySpace. Still MySpace. I, I do Instagram. Instagram. You can find me on there at O-Boyle. O-H-B-O-Y-L-E. There you go. All right. Thank you. Please spread the word. If you liked what you heard, uh, go to the iTunes account, leave a comment, and rate us, and that way we can get higher up in the um, search engine thingy. We can be a real podcast. Yeah. Hey, this is the 51st episode. Oh. Woohoo. Woo. Later.